Hello, and welcome to the Story Wagon Podcast, where we talk about life, story, and spiritual health. I am your host, Chaplain Jose Martinez, and you can learn more about this podcast at our website, storywagon.org. You can also show us your support on our Patreon page so that we can continue to host this podcast and create resources that help our communities develop good spiritual health. Welcome. Well, welcome, everybody. I am your host, Chaplain Jose Martinez. We are doing a special podcast episode. Um, I am over here in Des Moines, Iowa at the 2019 General Assembly for the Disciples of Christ Churches. And um, I have a few friends here. We're at Bubba's Southern Comfort Spirit or uh, Supper and Spirits. <laughs> and um, we're having a dinner conversation and we're going to talk about moral injury and resiliency with, um, with the chaplaincy. So uh, I'll let each and every one of the, my guests introduce themselves. So here we go. My name is Chaplain Owen Chandler. I'm a, a brigade chaplain with the Army Reserve out of Arizona. My name is Jonathan Fisher. I am a active duty United States Army chaplain, major at uh, Burke Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas. I am Chaplain Brian McCraner, United States Navy lieutenant, and I'm active duty with the Navy in San Diego at Marine Corps Recruit Depot, San Diego Western Recruiting Region. I'm the third battalion chaplain for that. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks guys for coming along. Um, so one of the questions that I want to start off us with is, uh, in chaplaincy, what is your definition of spiritual? Okay, everyone's looking at me, so I'm going to start. Um, you know, this is a, it's interesting that I'm sitting here doing this podcast with you guys because this is a, a question that just keeps coming up over and over and over again, especially at recruit training. Um, and the Marine Corps has this very specific uh, fixation on spiritual fitness and its importance. And they want to be very clear that they're trying as hard as they can to define uh, a spirituality that is that does not alienate anybody or violate someone's uh, religious liberties. And so when we talk about spiritual fitness and we talk about spirituality, um, I used to hate it when people would say, oh, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Right. Uh, but I, I, think I, I think I hated that in terms of people who were, I knew were religious, like people who I went to church with. And so now I find myself um, embracing that more from a perspective of uh, plurality and, and being able to respect uh people's beliefs uh, or lack thereof and when we talk about spiritual fitness and spirituality at MCRD with recruits more particularly we talk about um, asking them uh, that they don't have to believe in a higher power necessarily to be spiritual but that when the commandant of the Marine Corps talks about that and by the way here's my legal disclaimer I am not speaking on behalf of the commandant of the Marine Corps (laughs) everyone please understand that that is not what I'm doing here um but I think what they mean when Big Navy and Big Marine Corps say that, they mean find something bigger than yourself to believe in in life. Yeah. And that can be whatever that is. So as I'm hearing you say that what I'm thinking about is how the way I understand spirituality is it is the connection that we feel uh, to ideas of meaning and purpose. 
these ideas of that are bigger than ourselves it, it is how do, how do I connect into that energy really and then as I'm connected into that energy when that's taken away from me now I'm I am less spiritual I am I'm struggling that's with right. my spiritual health at that point I don't I don't have a connection with what makes me feel as though God God self or the you know the energy of the universe that that I'm connected to that you know oftentimes when I'm talking about this whether it's in my congregation or with my military unit we, I, I talk about our, our spiritual journey, our spiritual formation, our, our spiritual being um, as something that is just essential to, to who we are, to, to our, our very createdness. And that when we look at our sacred scriptures and, and realize that it's, that it's God's breath that, that comes over this experience of creation and, and fills these spaces with, with life and being, that it's um, that, it's that breath that, that kind of comes in, in ourselves and it's that it is that essence of, of, of movement and spirit and life from that, from that first moment of creation that, that, that we carry with us. And so then our spiritual journey are those things that we do that, um, that continue to add life to that, that continue to break free of the barriers to, to let that wind continue to, to shape and, and deepen and, and direct. And so, so much of our, our someone's spiritual formation is just giving them the space and, and really letting them tap into those, those things that are better and greater than, um, than themselves and, and deeper and, and truer. And unlike these two guys, though, I am actually allowed to speak on behalf of the entire Department of Defense. So it's, it's okay. <laughs> we laugh. Yeah. Well, I, I, love what, I love what Owen is, is saying here. It, 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 is, it is an energy, and it... And one of the ideas that, that I, I connect with is that it's, it's, it's really undefinable. Right. Right? Because what's, what is spiritually connected for one person is not spiritual connection for another person. Because some people are very cognitive. Some people are very, um, you know, they, they're in touch with their gut. They're in touch with their body. Like, right. pe- pe- people are just so incredibly different. And what I do as a chaplain often is when I invite my soldiers, my family members, I invite them to tell their story. I think what's happening is they start to connect with their spirit. Right. And they, they may not be able to really define. They can't. I don't. I think a lot of times people aren't able to really say, well, this is spiritual for me. And yet they know it. Right. And it's in their story. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why I love hearing their stories. Yeah. So like the Air Force, we kind of have this de- broad definition of, uh, it, you know, spirit is the animating force that gives a, perp- a person purpose. That's where the core beliefs and moral values reside. And so when we're talking about resiliency uh, in the spiritual domain uh, of our total force comprehensive fitness, um, how, do you, how do you help people you know, develop that spiritual fitness or that spiritual wellness uh, to get them in a spiritual healthy place uh, to do what they need to do? Well, a lot of it is just an exercise in intentionality. Um, you know, when I'm with soldiers and they're, and they're feeling these places of dryness and and a sense of like forlorn and forgottenness. It's it's really helping them see within their their own lives this need to to create space in their lives to intentionally feel those winds, to feel that energy, to feel um, to feel those deeper things. Because you know, one of the things that I would always remind soldiers, whether on deployment or or even in just kind of the mundanity of their life, is that like every day there is an opportunity for meaning. And if you can find meaning and create space and, and that intentional, 
that intentional focus on 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 really kind of living into and, and breathing life out of um, your spiritual formation like you're going to be able to carry through almost just about anything I think um, I want to kind of echo something that John said that I really appreciated it's what caught me was when he said what gives us spiritual strength and resilience is the thing that when it's taken away from us makes us almost less of a person it's like you don't know till it's gone that's exactly right you don't know until it's gone and it's like the recruits where I am right now who come to me and say I never knew how much I cared about my family until I was away from them now that I've been away from them I just, all I want to do is spend time with them uh, and you know it's like something they took for granted and, and I even use not that specific language as a, as a spiritual tool, but I say to them, it doesn't have to be, and obviously in the public sector like the military, it doesn't have to be something religious, but that something greater than yourself that you plug into, uh, that you get life from, can be your family, your significant other, your pet, the wind, the trees, the earth, ecology. It can even be your branch of service. If you want to feel like the Marine Corps is the thing that you live for, that gets you out of bed every morning, your, your brothers and sisters you, with whom you serve, let that be your spiritual underpinning if that's what you need. I'm thinking but, about but, your but definitely context. Definitely something bigger than yourself. Yeah. I'm thinking about your context as, so these are recruits that are just coming in, entering in their service. I remember at one point in my career, I was a chaplain for AIT soldiers, Advanced Individual Training. So they finished basic training. Now they're learning their job in the military. And it's a traumatic experience. And it's almost by design, right? So right. you take a civilian off the street, you bring them into through the basic training experience, and, and it's, it is disorienting. Uh, everything that they have learned about themselves, it's, it's kind of taken away. And they're purposefully given so. purposefully so, and they're given a new community. They're given a new uniform. They're given a new language, a new way to be. And in the midst of that, sometimes what is lost is the cultural connections that we had to our spirituality. So if I, let's let's for example, I uh, you know if I've heard this story once, I've heard it a thousand times. Chaplain, uh, I used to go to church all the time, you know, growing up, and then I, I just haven't really connected with that since I've been in the military. Well, yeah, they've, they've kind of lost that. They've lost touch with that. I, I, I had a Wiccan soldier one time. So Wicca is a earth-based religion. Um, and the soldier came in very, very down. He appeared very depressed, um, very discouraged. His marriage was struggling. And we just got talking, and I invited him to tell his stories, and he taught, told his story. And in, in listening to him, I said, now... What I understand about Wicca is that it's a it's a religion that really centers on on the earth and, and being aware of outside and creation and just around trees and so forth. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I said, so w when was the last time you you went outside and just went camping? And he said, well, you know, Chaplain hadn't thought about that. He said, it, it's been months. I haven't been outside intentionally just to be in nature in months. So here was a, a really simple. A really simple thing to help him reconnect with his spiritual base. Go outside. And he went on a camping trip that weekend and came back and was just like, just 
rejuvenated. He had reconnected with with what made him feel connected to the, to spirit. Yeah, it was a spiritual experience for him. Well, and, and I think that that's like kind of forms a little bit of what we do in the chaplaincy is that oftentimes, like I don't have to be Southern Baptist to be able to connect with a Southern Baptist soldier. I don't have to be Jewish to connect with a Jewish soldier. I just have to, to remind them of the sacred story, their story, and their relationship with that sacred story so that the living scriptures that, that are important to them to help through conversation, through, through invitation, really invitation, to remind them that that living story continues to live within them. Because there, I mean, there is this 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 sense that like th- there is this disorientation that happens when you become in the military, um, and I, I've reminded a couple of soldiers from time to time that it's almost like well, you're in your wilderness, you're in your wilderness moment of your life now, right? You're out of Egypt now, and so now it's time to to, to see what what you thought was important to you is no longer important to you. The things that you thought you needed that you don't have anymore. Um, and now it's it's just a it's a journey. It's a journey through this. Yeah. So when when you're engaging with these conversations, and uh, let's say a, a soldier, or sailor, marine, airman comes up to you and says, "Chaplain, this is the this is my biggest problem. These are my issues. What are some of the biggest issues that you have dealt with?" I know uh, in the Air Force and within our conversations, we're talking a lot about moral injury. Um, I deal a lot with uh, marriage care, um, those sorts of things. What are some of the things that you're seeing in our in our military forces? It's kind of a hard question, though, because when we don't see a lot of problem soldiers in the Army, typically when I encounter just a completely lost, forlorn, just almost hopeless, it's it's typically a Marine. And so <laughs> we should probably – let's ask the Navy guy. <laughs> I concur. <laughs> um, I concur. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny you bring this up because, uh, you know, our, our leadership at MCRD has asked us to routinely, uh, you know, once a month, uh, provide a, a report of trends, the, the trends we see. And I had this conversation, uh, we've had this conversation on our base amongst, uh, amongst the battalion chaplains, um, but then I had this conversation with a retired um, service member here at General Assembly. Um, oh, hashtag abide. 2019. Um, anyways, um, and and he said, I remember when I went to recruit training that I just felt disoriented and isolated and alone, and I missed everybody and I missed everything. And I said, Yeah, it's been 30 years since you went through recruit training. And guess what I experience every day when a recruit respectfully requests to speak to a chaplain. (laughs) They're the same. And I mean, so every month, tongue in cheek, we're copying and pasting to our command. These are the issues we see. I I am alone. I am afraid. I feel disconnected. I don't know what I'm doing or where I'm going or even why I'm here. I think because fundamentally the human experience is a communal experience, right? So we are are in community with other people. And that is how many people, not everyone, of course, but how many people connect with their spiritual base is through the community that they're in. 
through the, the right. cultural experience that they're having, through their family, whatever. <laughs> and in the military, that's kind of taken away. So if I were to say, what what is the single thing that we I do? All, it's some sort of a relationship issue. It's some sort of a, a human connection issue that I have. I, I was, uh, as part of my career, I've been a prison chaplain at the United States Disciplinary Barracks, which is the Department of Defense's maximum security prison. And, and one of the things I experienced there was what happens to an individual when, when they are deprived from human contact, when they're on lockdown for days on end, weeks on end. And what, what I watch is just, you can just, I've watched a person just break down uh, spiritually, emotionally, and then eventually physically because they've, they're, they've just not touched someone else. They've not been around someone else. And so it's a remarkable, it's always been remarkable to me how in the military sometimes a person can feel very alone in the midst of a huge crowd of people because, because our uniformity both connects us and sometimes we get lost in that uniformity. And that's a spiritual question. Like loneliness and relationship, those are spiritual issues. Right. Absolutely. Because, I mean, when we're wearing our uniforms, I mean, there's this vacuum of intimacy that we, that we exist in. And so, you know, oftentimes, like, it's, it's not that hard to be a chaplain. All we have to do is, is to, to be present, to be fully present with someone, to remind them then of the fullness of not only their own humanity, but that there is, there is something deeper and truer to their, to their experience of being. And if you can do that, then a lot of times they, they walk away in, in with just at least that small reminder that, um, that they are more than their MOS. They are more than this, this desert of, of touch that they exist in. And so um, it's, not, it's, it's not super, super hard it's just to be present. Yeah. Isolation and alienation is like one of the biggest symptoms of moral injury. Um, ha- has there been a lot of conversation in your branch of service about moral injury uh, in your chaplain uh, cohort? Um, so, and if so, what, what's your definition of moral injury? Yes, there's a lot of conversation about it. <laughs> I think I, in, in my context, in the United States Army, one of my uh, colleagues, uh, Chaplain Lieutenant Colonel Mark Lee, did his PhD in moral injury, and uh, he's teaching. He's one of my. He's he's one of the faculty that, uh, with me at at Brooker Medical Center. I th- I think what I understand about moral injury is when I see myself acting in a certain way, with a certain like this. This is my moral path, and then I act in violation of that. What that what does that mean about me now? Mm-hmm. Right? So it's almost like an equation. Like here's a thing that I thought that I was, right? And now I've acted in a way that violates that, whatever that principle is. And what does that mean about me as a human now? That 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 equation can can equal, I think, what we call moral injury. Yeah, and I would just add to that, I mean, it's in that same thought. Like I always talk about moral injury with respect to to creation. Um, and that 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 essence that the image of God is within us um, as as one of the the primary acts of creation and so like you know when I have soldiers that are struggling for moral injury it's because as a function of their job and as a function of, of, of the mission and as a function of the things that that they have set out to do in order to protect the person to the left and the right in, in, in these greater ideals of the United States Army and in the American public sometimes they are asked to do things that are anti-creational and anytime that we do something like that, 
it, it in some sense diminishes and it 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 bruises it it just hurts that image of God within us and so one of the tasks then that we we seek to go about is as chaplains is just to help heal that image of God to remind them of, of whose whose they are yeah I think there's a there's a component to this that's about awareness right so moral injury I think happens when we are aware that now we are in violation of our conscience. Mm-hmm. So one of the theologians that's influential in my life is Marjorie Suchaki. She's a process theologian. And she talks about sin, good old-fashioned sin, being giving assent to the demonic. In other words, sin happens when I participate in a system that hurts others, systems of oppression, systems of destruction, and so forth. And I know that that's a thing, and then I start doing it. So even if that was done to me and I wasn't aware, now I'm aware how I am continuing perpetuating the system. Sin is now a question here. And I, when I think about moral injury, actually, I think a lot about just sin mm-hmm. in that context. Right. That we know that this thing that I have done violates this, my sense of what makes me a human, a whole human. Mm-hmm. What what. You know, now I am no longer connected to the divine. I need a ritual. I need something in my life to, to reconnect me to my sense of d- divinity. But then also just the moral conflict about that, because that thing that you did was something that you were ordered to do. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I'm finding also a lot, uh, in particular at the Air Force, because, you know, with the Air Force, we're not so much in, in the front lines like the Army and the Marine Corps. We, we do a lot of uh, combat service support loading bombs on aircraft, you know, that sort of thing, um, that a lot of these folks are feeling moral injury, even though they're, they didn't actively participate in it. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they still feel a sense of responsibility. Other parts, if they see something on the screen, like if they're looking through uh, a, a camera scope, you know, that sort of thing, and they see it happen, and it crosses their boundary inside themselves, uh, even though they didn't push the button or any of that jazz, they still suffer from moral. That's injury. really interesting, Jose. Are, are you talking about like like drone pilots and so forth? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. yeah. It, I I want to echo that because uh, now I'm going to speak from very limited experience here because uh, I'm yet to deploy on a ship or or with with Marines, um, and so the conversations I've had around moral injury and what I what I've studied, what I've read, and what I know, and that's very very little. Uh, and may not be able to articulate it as well as uh, some of the other people here. Um, but the conversations we have do center around uh, what you said, similarly to, to the Air Force. We have men and women serving on ships who are not in the sandbox holding a weapon, pointing it at someone, but they are watching mm-hmm. uh, on a screen. Uh, they are tracking, uh, tracking projectiles, missiles. Uh, they are pushing the button at the order of, of a senior commander um, to strike with a missile, this location. And they watch that. And, and while they didn't directly, while they either directly or indirectly did something, they are broken inside because of it. And, and I, to this point, I am yet in, in the place I am, which is non-operational, um, yet to really encounter that. Um, and so for me, it's, it's a very theoretical uh, concept right now. And I'm trying desperately as much as I can in a theoretical environment to prepare myself for what that might look like when I have to reach out to someone someday, someday who has been, who has suffered moral injury, real true moral injury, because of what Owen and John have both described. Well, I mean, and that's that thing. So, like, I, I remember 
when when we were in you know Fisher when we were in Iraq like I, I was up um, in that Mosul area right and those those predator drone feeds like they get uploaded into that database and so like you can go and you can scroll through them and I was visiting this soldier who was going through some of the just the the archived um, mission logs and, and so you can watch these missions happening and the 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 enemy combatants running and you can see the the target and all that stuff and and i was watching you know these two soldiers watching this and and i was like guys you know do y'all have to watch this yeah and they're like no yeah. no this is so cool and i'm like i was like yeah you, you need to be careful here yeah you need this to be careful isn't a video game. it's not a video game like th- those are real people like we have the capabilities now to fire an artillery round from a cannon from a howitzer a GPS guided artillery round. I have seen uh, artillery rounds land on both sides of a house, gut the house, and leave the roof standing. Mm. I mean, it's extraordinary the precision by, by which our web, what technology has allowed us to do. And I think one of the things that we're exploring, I'm really glad we're exploring it, is what are those impacts of watching death happen through a camera? Right. You know, like this is these are real people, mm-hmm. and and they're enemy combatants. Let me let me be clear. Like when was so my last deployment was in Iraq, 2016. Um, we retook Ramadi and Fallujah uh, that were ISIS controlled, and it, it was terrible. It was what 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 we experienced as we retook these cities was was awful, and and the enemy was awful, etc. What impact is it having on our um, our soldiers to do this kind of remote warfare? Because there's there's the there's the impact of the immediate rifleman, and there's the impact of of this bombing from afar kind of a thing. Now I, I want to echo that too because I I know we we live in a world where people do evil things. It's funny, I try and tell my children all the time who are young and like to play good guy versus bad guy, and I, I tell them, you know, there are no bad people. There are God's children who make bad decisions and do bad things uh, and hurt other people, probably because they're broken themselves. And I remember, before I joined the military, hearing the news that Osama bin Laden, you know, compound had been raided and he had been killed. And then I remember, of course, watching news feeds of people having, on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday evening, in the middle of every major city in America, staying out until 1 o'clock in the morning partying in celebration. And I, I honestly remember turning to my mother, God rest her soul, uh, and saying, that's a human being, a nasty one who did some very terrible things but that's a human being. And and I always wondered about that, about how I said that to myself and my mother. And then I was at chaplain school last year, and our ethicist, who teaches at the Naval Academy, he teaches ethics at the Naval Academy, he said the exact same thing happened at the Naval Academy. The whole campus in Annapolis went bananas the whole night everybody had a party and the next day in class he looked at his students and he said how many of you feel truly in your heart and in your soul happy about celebrating the death of another human life last night and almost everyone in the room 
if if you if he could name it, shame. It was a curtain of shame over the whole room. Well, Be, more, because more that is an injury. expression of moral injury because everyone had celebrated the death of a person. And yes, maybe a person the world conceivably is better without, but people celebrated the death of a child of God or whatever they believe that to be. And that is a, an absolute expression of moral injury. But I think that also goes back to like our role as chaplains. Um, you know, with this, this reality of, of moral injury, you know, we have, we have a role in helping to mitigate it, to heal it, to transform it. Because, you know, one of the, the spiritual writers that, that influences me is a guy named Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr. And he talks about that if, if we do not transform our pain, we will transmit it. And we've been at war for 18, 19 years. And, and left unchecked, like all we're doing is we have, we're, we have all of these soldiers that we're sending into some of the most you know, inhumane situations of their lives and then left untransformed, left untransformed um, they've returned back to their homes, to their communities, to their jobs. And that pain, I mean, it just gets transmitted. It gets transmitted at the grocery store. It gets transmitted within their kids. It gets transmitted in our media. It gets, it just keeps getting transmitted. I totally agree. Um, so there's a lot of times where I have to help. Uh, I was at the mortuary affairs in Dover and the moral injury that would come because of the handling the human remains uh, of our yeah, fallen soldiers yeah. and uh, knowing the stories behind it that caused moral injury for, for the individuals. Yeah, so and the medical professionals that help uh, with trying to repair our, the broken bodies of our men and women. Uh, so the moral injury comes in many forms and many fashions. So, uh, so what do you do to help a person through that moral injury? What are some of the things that you do? One of the things that, that has been most helpful in my spiritual care practice is to invite people to just tell their story, which is why I love what you're doing in this, Jose, and what you're doing in this process, because part of what David Snarch calls um, meaningful endurance, right, is being able to live with the, the tension that arises within us. And as that attention arises within us, can we, can we sit with that? And we can sit with that more when we just tell that story. So what I do is when a, when a soldier starts telling me a story, I just think about how sacred this moment is, how precious this is. This is a gift. This is an expression of their spirit. And when I hear that story, I'll reflect on that story with that soldier, and we'll kind of rehearse it. And sometimes, sometimes we just circle back and we keep telling the same story over and over again. And every time they tell it, they're, get, they're a little more okay with it. They're a little more integrated with that story. Because I, I really believe that one, once we are aware of our, then we can start making some decisions about what we do next based on our awareness of, of where, where we are right now. Well, because I think every time that you stay present and every time that you're able to get them to, to tell that story, you're getting them to articulate, you're getting, you're getting them the capacity to be able to name it, to name, to name that evil, to name that hurt, to name that pain. And every time that they get greater strength in naming it, it has less power over them to the point of where the conversation that you have with them isn't, isn't a, a journey of naming the pain anymore. It's about naming the hope. And, but that takes time. It, it takes presence and it takes a, a true belief that everyone that God created is not irredeemable. And so. I, you know, again, 
I'll just throw the caveat out there, limited experience, right, uh, in my year in. Um, but I had a, and I don't want to open a can of worms here to a totally another topic, uh, but I think it's relevant. We had a Marine um, on our base at MCRD who committed suicide. Um, not a recruit, um, permanent personnel member, and a member of this Marine's unit uh, came to my office. She's not a member of my unit, another battalion, uh, but came to my office, I think, really wandering. I mean, just looking for anybody and and stumbled upon my, my doorframe. And it, it was about getting her to tell her story. Mm-hmm. Um, she, had, she was dealing with her own amount of moral injury for all those questions we ask when we sit at a desk next to someone and then they commit suicide. Why didn't I do anything? Did I know? I think I knew. I should have stopped it. I should have said something. Um, the question, all that guilt, all that guilt, and, and, that, and her moral injury, now looking back on it, that's what it was. Uh, and getting her to simply say it all out loud and ask unanswerable questions. Why would someone do this? How could anybody feel that alone? How could anyone feel that sad? How could anybody do that? Um, just getting her to say those things out loud. Um, in a safe space uh, where she, where no one was going to tell her, yeah, why didn't you do something? You know, just a safe place. Getting her to tell her story was how she began uh, healing from that injury. Wow. Well, gentlemen, we're out of time. I want to thank you for your time here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. This is really fun. I, I wish really I could have it. you guys around me all the time. And do, <laughs> we could do this like every week. Sit around, drink some beers, and have a conversation. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, um, well, thanks again for coming and uh, speaking with us. And for the, your listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, this is Chaplain Jose Martinez, and wishing you good spiritual health. <laughs>